Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Surf's up, listeners. Welcome to the radical newest episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. We're feeling like boys of summer today as we dig into Catherine Bigelow's action classic, full of surfing, bank robbing, and people saying, dude. As always, I'm Aaron, one of your hosts, and with me for this much overdue conversation is my own best bruh with a name that would totally fit into this crew, in my opinion, Patch. What's up, everybody? It's so good to be here. <laughs> Man, you totally slayed me with that impression. You're a much I have better to do that from, yeah, I have pseudo to do that surfer son, than so I, I get, am. I get practice. <laughs> <laughs> I could do my Hank Hill impression, but that wouldn't seem very surfer-like. Uh, no, anyway. no. no not. <laughs> I don't think that's closer to an ex-president <laughs> than it is a surfer. I like Ronald Reagan. He's a good guy, I think. <laughs> With or without a gun. All right, we're done. No, <laughs> now, as we get started, please remember that we will be spoiling the film, so if you haven't seen it, be sure to do so first. Also, we will likely be comparing this to another one of our favorites, The Fast and the Furious, pretty much constantly. So, you've been warned. Patch, give me two! <laughs> All right, a delayed laugh. I'm going to cut out the silence before the yeah, that's laugh, fine. so <laughs> people think that you laughed right away. Let, let's, <laughs> that's let's what I'm going to do. Let's let's take that one again, please. <laughs> take two. I don't do that. <laughs> oh, give me two. Give me two. Anyway, let's talk about the movie. I, I wanted to start off by you know I kind of teased there about the Fast and the Furious, and as I was kind of jotting down notes, this is I think the first time I've watched Point Break in a good while and I couldn't help but just have like these blaring sirens on almost every scene on these different relationships and I was like writing down notes going this is the equivalent of blah 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 and I'm probably going to mention a bunch of them but I did want to say that this viewing made me appreciate both this movie and the Fast and the Furious, I think, even more than I already did before because I felt like the Fast and the Furious kind of gained even a higher level of respect as a remake. And I wanted to say, like, I think this is such a great example of how it's done. We live in this time period where every property is getting rebooted or restarted from scratch and yet telling almost the exact same story. And I think this is a really cool example of how you can reboot an IP essentially with a very similar style of story, a very similar grouping of relationships, but it's different enough that it can also become its own thing and stand on its own. Yeah. The story beats, obviously we will not disagree are, very similar. In fact, I almost think that if imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, replication may be either way better or way worse, depending on how you think about it. But you're right. In the age where we have to go back to the tank, so to speak, of the IP, 
and reboot or reimagine or re something. It, what I think the Fast and the Furious does in relation to Point Break is it provides an update where it hits the high points of what makes Point Break really good and then it adds its own flavor. And so when you look at the comparison characters, their motivations are different. There's no sense of family in Point Break that is as deep as it is in The Fast and the Furious. There's high-flying action, but there's not a not mythological, but there's not like a spiritual character like there is with Bodhi. And yet he is a strong leader and he carries his team in a way that makes a whole lot of sense. So I think when we have this updated version in The Fast and the Furious, taking the best of what we enjoyed about Point Break and then putting it 10 years later on the streets with spectacle of cars, I don't mind that. I don't mind taking similar story beats and doing that. In fact, I like the fact that I feel like The Fast and the Furious sort of pays its tribute to Point Break. One of the small things that I noticed this time around is that early on in Point Break, the beer that the boys are drinking is Corona. Now, was that intentional? I'm going to say it was because I think that it doesn't try it being the Fast and Furious doesn't try to be something different. It doesn't apologize for being an updated version of the story of Point Break, but it leaves so much open as we've seen in the the next six movies that it builds off of that because it right. is about those relationships. I think Point Break has that too, but it provides a beginning, middle, and end that feels really satisfying. Like I really don't at the end of the movie feel like, okay, what's going to happen with Agent Utah next? Is he still with his girl? Those are questions I really don't ask myself. And yes, you could say the same thing about the Fast and the Furious, but Dominic Toretto is a compelling enough character who gets away, by the way, <laughs> that you And think, then doesn't hmm. show up in movie number two anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so... And so the, the, the fact is, Aaron, I love the story and yeah, whether or not you repackage it in a different way, I think the fact that you repackage it and you give it to me in a different form just makes me love the story even more about this character who infiltrates a gang of dudes or a gang of people and becomes part of that. I mean, there's something really compelling about falling into the trap of the inner workings of something so amazing and that's one of the things i really love about point break is that there's something intoxicating about being part of this crew and that's not as strong i think in the fast and the furious it's really driven by the relationship with toretto and with mia but that again is further pushed along as we get into those other movies and so i think point break really hits that that note for me of this idea of man could i really if i were johnny utah could I find the compromise? Could I walk into this and really not have my convictions challenged or lean one way or the next by the time this comes out uh, and what and what comes out of it? And I think that the whole movie itself is it's just a great summer movie. I, I count it on my list. You and I were talking offline. At some point, I'm really going to sit down and put together my recommendations for the movies you should watch during the summer at what parts during the summer. And this is one of those that's like leaning into the mid to late part, the post 4th of July experience of like, if I'm going to watch a summer movie this time of year, July, August, what's it going to be? Point break is that because summer's over and you got to have that cash to move on because the breaks are found elsewhere. So wow. yeah, I like I, it. It, it's great, man. Yeah, it's absolutely Gotta great. Got to go to the vault, but 
Yeah. Breaking a rule, man. It's breaking a rule. Yeah. It's it, breaking it's, a rule. I wanted to point out, since we're already talking about it now, the couple things. There's a restaurant that is used in both films. It's original or, or its actual name is called Neptune's Net, and it is in Malibu, and it is a biker and seafood bar. You don't eat bikers. Or that, that was probably the wrong way to say it. It's a biker bar that serves <laughs> seafood. That sounds like there it's we go. Like a that sounds better. Cannibalistic. That's cannibalism. Uh, anyway, That's not part of either movie, I don't think. <laughs> it's the location that Tyler works in Point Break, and it's the same place that Dom takes Brian when they go down the coast in The Fast and Furious. So to ask him to race wars, right? To give him that's directions right. to race that's wars. That's right. Yeah. Okay. When cool. he kind of like knows it. what's going on. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh that's a really cool connection. And one of the things that you just mentioned since you brought it up, I, I actually think that the family aspect and, and this is I think maybe you said it in a way that is not quite because I, I think you agree with me. The family aspect in Fast and the Furious is stronger. That's yes. one thing that I really love as an update is that I care more about Dom's crew individually than I ever did about the individuals in Bodie's crew. Right. And the, and then the updated aspects of it that I also think are pretty cool are maybe a little bit of realism, things like Johnny running up to the, uh, you know, the bank robbery, and just screaming FBI with his, with his, he, he basically just, he doesn't ever protect his identity. He uses his real name the whole time, the whole movie. When he goes on the raid and where he thinks they're going to get him, it's, it's the equivalent of Fast and the Furious is going after Johnny Tran and his garage and they go into the house. He doesn't wear a mask or anything. Like he is fully, and then in Fast and the Furious, they do. Like they kind of conceal themselves better. And I just think that there's like some updated things, like the obviously using a fake name, such and so forth. Uh, those are pretty cool little elements to it that I, I just think there's so many tiny little details that, you, like you said, they pay homage to it in such a great way. All right. Well, but let's get into this. So did you know that Keanu Reeves was not the original choice for this role and that this movie was actually supposed to be made quite a little bit before Catherine Bigelow got a chance to do it. No and no. Interesting stuff. Our original plan director, Ridley Scott. Wow. A little bit of a different uh, movie, okay, I think. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Original Johnny Utah, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> that is exactly what I said. No. 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 So it no. got scrapped, <laughs> and then it got put on hold, right? or not scrap, he got put on hold. And eventually Bigelow gets uh, attached to it several years down the road. And then they went through, initially they had auditioned Patrick Swayze for the role of Johnny Utah. And he immediately was like, you know what? I don't want this. I want to do Bodhi. I feel like that's my character. So good on him for foreseeing his ability to do that. Because in my opinion, it is his best or most iconic role in his career, he's had several that could fit that bill for various people, I'm sure. But like for me, I attribute that to Point Break. And the other characters that are the other actors that were kind of attached or thought of at one point to do Johnny Utah were Charlie Sheen and Johnny Depp. Both intriguing 
in their own mm-hmm. little bits of of way. I, I I don't know if I could see Johnny Depp doing the action. I don't know if I've ever seen Johnny Depp run in a movie, like in the way that Keanu has to run or like imagining Johnny Depp on the beach trying to play football and getting tackled by Patrick Swayze. I just, I can't see it. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't even, it doesn't work yeah. for me. So funny little thing about how, you know, it, it's always interesting that it could be so different and yet we get what we got and it worked out great. Yeah. Agreed. So speaking of Johnny Utah and memorable and iconic roles, this is obviously one of Keanu's, probably eventually eclipsed by The Matrix and John Wick, but outside of those two is probably his third, maybe Speed, but I I would probably say Johnny Utah. Did you know that this name was a direct play on Joe Montana? Because I didn't know that either until I I watched a little. I I didn't. I didn't know it, but it doesn't surprise me that. Well, no, but I never thought about it. Is what I was. I I was like, oh my gosh, I feel stupid (laughs) because. I mean, if they'd said he'd gone to Notre Dame, maybe I'd probably be like, oh yeah, it sounds about right. That would have been a little bit obvious. Yeah, a little little obvious. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's another state, you know. And then anyway, so. Originally, when the film came out, and, and honestly, probably to this day, if you look at like Letterboxd reviews, it feels to me like there's a pretty strong split amongst viewers on whether or not they like Keanu's performance or not. Roger Ebert actually really liked the movie, and he wrote about it. He said a lot of the snap comes, surprisingly, from Mr. Reeves, which is a weird thing to call him, at, but this was back in the 80s. <laughs> Right. who displays <laughs> considerable discipline and range. He moves easily between the button-down demeanor that suits a police procedural story and the loose-jointed manner of his comic roles. He had done Bill and Ted before this movie. Others uh, have often called it extremely boring, the performance very silly and very overacted, and just nobody you know some people don't think Keanu has any range whatsoever so I wanted to start there like how does he work for you in the movie does he feel like it's a good performance or is this in that area of bad movie that I just happen to enjoy for you well I think it's really kind of in the middle there because I would look at Keanu Reeves and I I don't think not having range is the phrase I would use to describe him. I think he has the acting chops for a type of film or a a series of films that he's really good at. I have seen him in a couple of dramas and didn't really care for him. Now that was when I was in my twenties and maybe my late twenties, early thirties. So 10 years, 15 years later, maybe that has changed. I also have to admit that my bias for him is connected to how he is off screen, the way that he composes himself, the way in which he is around people, that he just seems like a guy who you run into and he'll, you know, pay for your Starbucks coffee and have and just kind of spark up a conversation. So I think he's a good guy from what I the little that I know. But in this performance, it's very much one of these roles where Johnny Utah is a character who seems to have fun. Like he's not he's not a guy who is oblivious to the seriousness of the role that he has taken on as a police officer, but he is as is described, young, dumb and, you know, we'll, we won't finish that, but it's he's very green, very much a rookie. And so the way that he carries himself 
is like a rookie would be, you know, just excited, thinks the world is just his oyster in terms of like, I'm going to go out and get the bad guys. I'm ready to do this. So watching him in this role, it feels very appropriate because the same kind of role seems to live in his performance in Speed. Now, The Matrix is a different kind of role. John Wick is a different kind of role because there's a lot more weight to those. But I think coming off of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, we know that he can make people laugh. And I think he taps into that kind of, whoa, God. Like, I think he can make fun of that because of the fact that that's what people are there to see. So watching him interact, particularly with uh, Gary Busey, is fantastic because there's this really pivotal, I say pivotal scene. There's the scene that I think makes it a great movie for me and really allows me to connect with both of them is when they go check out the drop car, like it's announced and immediately says, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take that. <laughs> and, and Busey's carriage, like he goes, uh, Pappas, I think his name, Pappas. Yeah. He, he goes, great. Now we're going to check out the drop car. And he confronts him, you know, he's figuring stuff out and Pappas is giving him a hard time saying, have you figured everything out, Mr. Wizard? And he, injects himself saying look if you're not in the box just yet then maybe we can go out there and get these guys and i think he needed that pappas needed to be injected with a new set of energy a new set of eyes and i think that really signifies the kind of character that johnny utah is he wants to do his job well in fact early on when he is picked to be the guy to integrate himself into Bodhi's gang or get on these beaches. He's like, you mean I have to learn to surf? Why can't I just carry my board around and look stoned? And so clearly this is not what he wants to do. But throughout the movie, what we get for me to answer your question is this great balance of someone who knows that the job is important, but is also still youthful enough to feel like he's having some fun with it. And I think that Keanu Reeves has fun with this role. And I think that the times when he's a little bit oblivious, uh, he carries that really well. When the raid happens and it goes bust and he gets encouraged by Pappas and then Pappas and then he is told, oh, that's not the guy. You could see it clearly in his acting that he's disappointed in himself. He's frustrated. So I think watching him in Point Break, he is the character. He plays the character he needs to. And so if that means that he doesn't have a lot of range, I don't think this movie needs all that kind of range. I think it's appropriately acted based off the script and what's going on here. Yeah, I definitely fall closer to the Roger Ebert camp and where I think that it's a legitimate, strong performance. And I do think that he actually undergoes some change as a character from start to finish. And that's what I think is the most telling and important aspect of something like this, where you're going through this two-hour movie and all of the plot that's going to happen to him, he should be coming out a different person. That first opening scene, it, it's kind of, I always forget that that's where the famous meme comes from. So there's a gif of Keanu like doing his thumbs up in the rain right and that goes around the internet all the time and that's like the opening scene of this movie because he's just finishing the fbi weapons training course or whatever and then he's like giving that thumbs up and the complete like you said the memorable line that's you know said by the fbi guy john c mcginley who's great in his role as well he 
is that guy. He's young, dumb, and just doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. He's overly ambitious. He carries some of that almost not like rock star demeanor, but there's a a bit of that college football, like that alpha male in him where he just thinks that you just go after it. You just go get it. Like I'm qualified. I'm good. I'm obviously skilled. Like, let's just, let's go, let's just go do it. And Pappas is like, no, it doesn't, <laughs> you can't just go do it. Like they've, what did he say? 27 banks in three years. I love the the breakdown of the heist, by the way, 27 banks yeah. in three years in and out in 90 seconds. No one ever gets shot. He says they control the room well and they stick strictly to the cash drawers. They never go for the vault. They never get greedy, which is obviously foreshadowing. Leave the switch car running on the curb. Then they dump the car and vanish. They all know their jobs. Best I've ever seen, ever. Best I've ever seen, ever. And Johnny's like, well, let's just go get him. <laughs> well, why are we taking our time? You know? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> he, he, he just doesn't know because he hasn't been put in the situations before. And I think by the end, he is disillusioned. I mean, he's tossing his badge on the beach into the water. Will a whole other issue as to whether or not like he would actually even be allowed to like take this like task force to Australia and one-on-one confront Vody on a beat. It's great for drama, but like real talk. I mean, this guy was like involved in a gun shootout in a bank that like, yeah. like multiple people died. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like it just feels like a little bit of a stretch, but uh, you know, but, but there's a change. There's a change in him completely uh, as he is slowly getting indoctrinated into this group, this family. And, starting to have an appreciation for surfing. Keanu Reeves in real life actually had never surfed before and to this day surfs all the time, almost making the proclamation come to fruition that the kid says in the shop when he goes to get the surfboard, the kid's like, it's never too late to start surf surfing. He says, I hope you stick with it. Surfing's the source. Change your life, I swear to God. And like it, that's it literally did that to Keanu in real life. And so you can see that in the character, I think, as he goes through. And that and I think some of the more exaggerated stuff in the movie, I mean, to me, it's just Bigelow being a good director. Like I, I think those big bombastic pieces of dialogue, I just get a kick out of all of them. So I think they work well. Like when he's like, I am an FBI agent. And he like screams it in all seriousness. And Bodie's like, ain't it cool, man? Or whatever he's he's like, he's like, yeah, ain't it cool? You know, like he it's the way and like the smile on his face, on Patrick Swayze's face. Like it it's intentionally over exaggerated yeah. so that you can yes. get the comic reaction of Swayze because it's over exaggerated. Well, it's just it's great. And well, and, and you bring up a good moment in the movie because I think that that moment is very much a personification of these two characters and how different they are, but how connected they are. Because Bodhi sees that as like, yes, you're getting it. You're actually starting to understand that we can be bigger than the system. And I I think that's why I one of the reasons I enjoy Point Break so much is Bodhi's character is so compelling to me because I think Patrick Swayze who looks fantastic in his like gruff big hair tan I mean he looks like a surfer he looks like this California guy but he looks very zen and he talks very zen so when you have the this kind of at peace dude in the form of Bodhi 
going up against Johnny Utah. Johnny yelling, I am an FBI agent. It's it's like you're yelling at a Buddhist monk. It's like you're not going to face him. In fact, what you're doing is reinforcing exactly what he wants you to feel like. You're actually feeling something. You're actually feeling a rush of what this is all about. And I absolutely adore their relationship because it it grows organically. It starts out with him infiltrating. He's talking to Tyler and he gets this giant, what he, what Bodhi calls a 57 Chevy <laughs> of a surfboard. But Bodhi never actually like distances himself. He doesn't think that he's bigger than anything else. He's like, look, you're, he sees surfing. And I think more in a macro level, not just extreme sports, I think he sees surfing specifically as the source, as as the kid says. And I think Bodhi takes that to that spiritual level that he mentions. Uh, at one point, I think Johnny says, you're not going to start chanting in front of me. I says, maybe, you know, he's like unapologetic, I, yeah, maybe. But watching how Bodhi integrates himself, it has to be not that this guy's just a random dude. He recognizes him as being a football player. He recognizes him as sacrificing his body week in and week out. And he sees something in him. And I think that's what makes me really like their relationship because Bodhi's not just, he's not manipulating Johnny at all. He really wants Johnny to experience what he has and what he is trying to do. It's not that he wants him to turn bad. It wants him, it means that he just wants him to experience the depth and the peace that he feels like comes from this life of surfing and this life of living on the edge and being pushed to the edge. He's not just trying to get get radical as War Child and his gang are. He really is trying to find that moment where you both lose yourself and find yourself. I love that line. And what we see with Johnny is that he latches onto that. And I think that's the intoxication. That's the that's the drug that I want sometimes when I watch this movie. I'm like, man, I want that drug. I want to not just be better at surfing. That's kind of cool. But the thrill you get of just being in this moment of like, yes, the perfect set and you're one with the water and this this whole ideology that Bodhi's good at preaching. I mean, Bodhi's a preacher and he he is an evangelist and, and his religion is this Zen lifestyle that centers around surfing. And that I think is what makes Point Break so good for me is that it centers around that sport, but not a sport, just as a as a calling. And it's in the relationship between Bodhi and Johnny, where you have this non-believer and this believer, and how the non-believer sort of integrates himself with that. So watching how Bodhi interacts with him, I don't think he ever loses his cool until that last bank robbery, when he changes things. And I think that there's something really important about that. Well, yeah. I mean, that's... it's. Again, it's the con the thing, same thing with Fast and Furious and with Dom, and I love the parallels that are there. While all we've already talked about the differences in Dom not being super spiritual, although there is an element to of comparison between the way that Bodhi feels on the waves and the way that Johnny even explains. He's like out there in the water with Tyler, and he's like, "Man, this is something else. Like it's just different." And it's kind of like how Dom feels, right? When he's for that 
half a mile or whatever he says. Um, the the famous quote there. I'm free. Yeah, I'm free. And for those ten seconds, you know, I'm free. And you're right. Like it it does build in such a way that that's where Johnny changes because he's he's not being indoctrinated. Like Bodhi is not trying to do anything. That's the beauty of it. He's not trying to change Johnny. So many stories focus on characters that do that, where one is intentionally making choices to try and make someone else be different. Bodhi sees Johnny surfing and he is like, oh, this guy's actually got some inherent skill. Like he's athletic. And then they play on the beach and Bodhi starts sticking up for him and they get in that fight with Anthony Kiedis and war child and you know the the gang and Bodhi comes over to help him and that also very reminiscent of the way that it goes down in the fast and the furious with brian eventually helping dom and then dom helping him and then Bodhi's like hey come over to the house for a party what happens in fast and furious dom brings brian home to the party right Uh, so there's all these connections but it builds and builds over the course of that story where they're connecting and to the point that Towards the end, once Utah comes clean with Tyler, actually, I think it might be before he comes clean with Tyler, but she says to him, you've got that kamikaze look. Bodhi can smell it a mile away. He'll take you to the edge and past it. It's just in him. He, he is not trying to become this thing. It's, he is just a natural fit. Right. He just yeah. is the it, it's it just is like fate that they've come together and this is where it takes them to, to that end. Also, in that moment, by the way, you mentioned that scene where he finally loses it during the bank robbery and he's made that choice to go for the vault and things go poorly. I just want to point out maybe the best single brief moment of acting in the entire movie, in my opinion is Bodhi has taken off his mask and it's right before he kills the undercover cop. And the guy starts to like pull out his gun and there is a, just a quiver that comes across his face. It's very brief and it's a blink and you miss it. And there's no dialogue that goes along with it. It's not articulated, but it's, it's that moment where you see he's lost control. And he is genuinely sorry because you know up until the point, this is not what he wants. He's not a killer. What did Pappas tell us at the beginning? They've never fired a single shot. Like this is not the the goal. And he kills that guy because he is threatened himself. And it's it's a him or that guy, right? He's protecting his family. And right. so he feels he kind of has to at that point. And you just, you see it on his face. Like it didn't have to be this way. And I am so he knows it's almost like he knows it's all over in that moment too, even though there's another 20 minutes of it slowly, completely falling apart in tragedy from that point forward. So I just love that single little brief moment as well. But in that conversation, know, with, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say that conversation with Tyler, when she tells Johnny, he'll take you through the edge and beyond. It was very reminiscent of the story beat where Mia tells uh, Brian, he owns you now. He's owns right you before. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, very much like, okay, this is the turn. Here's, here's where it is. And I think that really starts Johnny's journey of, 
I'm going to have to make a choice. At some point, I'm going to have to lay my gun down or pick it up. And while I don't think the conflict is as strong in Point Break, because I don't feel like he ever, I don't feel like he ever loses the fact that he's an FBI agent. And that kind of plays through even when he goes to Australia. Like that's, that's his end game is to finally finish this off. Um, that's not the case, obviously, with Brian, but I think that makes that story better because, again, that, that family aspect, we find more of that compulsion of Brian's relationship with Mia, Brian's relationship with Dom. And I think for the better, the relationship that that Johnny has with Tyler isn't as strong. Like It, it feels a lot like, to me, it feels like Maverick and Charlie as opposed to Maverick and Penny. And I think that for the movies that these are in, they make really good sense. She makes a great love interest, but she's not someone that I'm compelled to say, do they live happily ever after? Man, I hope he gets her back and I hope she doesn't die. I mean, I do, I do hope she didn't die uh, at the hands of Rosie, but I'm not as invested as I am with Brian and Mia because we get more, maybe not more screen time, but I think we feel more connected because she is Dom's sister, as opposed to Tyler being just a halfway romantic ex of of Bodie's. In fact, at one point, in order to just kind of sweeten the deal when they're on that last uh, one of those last uh, bank jobs, when Johnny has to participate, Bodie says she's falling for you. She doesn't do that often. I don't think she did it for me, and that tells me, okay, while you're doing that, you're saying that to really kind of provide Johnny with incentive it also reinforces the fact that I'm not really as invested in their relationship as I am with someone like uh, like Brian and Mia. And again, that's fine because for this movie, it works perfectly. But because um, mm-hmm. I think the real focus is on, um, I'm going to start getting my names next up, Johnny and Bodie. I think and those, Bodie. Are, those yeah. that's the relationship that you're focused on. And when you see that, you see how Bodie is, is conflicted uh, in the back half of the movie, the way he, when he talks about how he can't do what Rosie's going to potentially do to Tyler. Why? Because he's not that guy. He needs somebody like that around him, but you can tell that he has his standards. He has his convictions. And when he finds Johnny, I think he sees someone in him, not that would share those convictions, but someone that would, as you mentioned, add to the group and be like a part of that in a way that makes a whole lot of sense. So it would add, some kind of level of talent, personality to that already kind of diverse group of of guys. And um, I think that their journey as it ended, you feel a sense of loss because you you want Johnny and Bodie to be friends and you know they can't. Yeah, I agree. And I and I think you're right that it doesn't work, this movie, if he just lets him go. Like you're right, this is, he is trying to, catch him but not necessarily because he wants to be a good fbi agent i don't think i think it's personal at that point right Right. and it is very different than the other relationship because dom has not hurt brian directly in any sort of way there's not they've not been in conflict it's not like dom took him for a bank robbery job and was like sorry brian you don't get to be a president (laughs) haha no more masks but you know they they've been they've had it out you know they jumped out of a plane another one of the greatest lines by the way i won't quote it because we don't have the e for explicit but when Bodhi jumps out of the plane 
and Johnny Utah is just like, oh, F it, and just launches. Like, there's like a full circle moment at that point where he's like, this is, it. Ha- I have to go after it at all costs. And I still attribute the ending to be somewhat similar in that, you know, they get in this fight and he is like, you get you handcuffs himself to him right to Bodhi, and Bodhi is a, like just begging. He's saying, "You know, there's no way I can handle a cage, man. Like that's not me. I need to be free. I need to be out here." And Utah says, "I don't care. You got to go down. It's got to be that way." And Bodhi says, "This is a once in a lifetime opportunity, man. Let me get out there and get one wave. Where am I gonna go? My whole life has been about this moment." Johnny, come on, compadre. And then, to me, the equivalent of Johnny unlocking those cuffs and saying, via con Dios, go with God, is Brian tossing Dom the keys and saying, I owe you a 10-second car. Yeah. You go do what you got to go do, and I'm going to go deal with that, the fallout and, and realize that my job is probably over. Um, so it's just very similarity, similar kind of circumstances but, but different and that's what i love about it that's why i love them both yeah. they're, they're they're different but i can think about both of them at the same time too yeah there's a there's a compo- there's a there's a question that i had though whenever he goes out into that storm my my take on that is that johnny knows he's not going to come back not because he's going to escape but because he's going to die like johnny says death. that the agents are yeah. like you let him go and johnny goes he's not coming back yeah that's and that you know to me that's where I think it's a little different. It's the equivalent to handing the keys. Oh yeah, but, no, no, it's totally different. But, but I'm just saying, no, 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 yeah, yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing. What I'm saying is, it's good, and I think that that makes so much sense. Where you have Johnny letting Bodie go, air quotes, to his death, as opposed to Brian letting Dom go to live his life or to live the next part of his life. And I think those are great story choices because, again, they make sense for the characters. We get this idea probably early on that at some point Bodie, and there's a great conversation uh, around a campfire where Bodie is essentially saying, look, my death is going to be something that I'm willing to live with, which is kind of, you know, a weird kind of phrasing. He didn't say that. I did. But the idea of that Bodie knows that he's not going to grow old that his life is going to be cut short or it's going to be lived and he's going to die in an epic way, in a way that he chooses. So when we get to that moment at the end, we know that he's not going to survive and Johnny knows that he's not going to survive. So in a, in some way, I feel like just like with, with Brian, he's giving Bodie what he wants, knowing that he's not going to be alive after this, knowing that, this is the way I'm going to go. And this is the way I've always wanted to go. So I think it's a fitting end to Bodhi's character. And I don't know if it's a fitting end to Johnny, but I think it was satisfying for him in terms of like, okay, I have closure now because I don't have this guilt on my conscience that I, even though I needed to bring him in, that he has to go down. Well, he goes down on his own terms and, does everybody win? I don't think so, but that's okay. And it's I think it's a it's a great way to end the in the movie. Well, I mean it speaks to the kind of probably the most famous or most I don't know, the deepest line in the entire movie, which is when 
Bodhi says, and maybe this is at the campfire, where he says, if you want the ultimate, you got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. It's not tragic to die doing what you love. And that was one of the things I wanted to ask was, do you agree with that? Do you, like, do you, I mean, obviously from a story standpoint, it's a compelling narrative and entertaining, but is there truth to what Bodhi is saying in your opinion at all? Not at all. Because the fact okay. is <laughs> the, the, the tragic life doing what you love is so selfish and it's yeah. completely mm-hmm. not about anybody else. And in a world where your satisfaction is coming from a relationship around you. For instance, if the thing that I want the most in the world is the new 2023 Dodge Viper and I can afford it tricked out and everything, if I was driving that thing on a deserted island with no one else, how satisfying would that be for me? It wouldn't be because the value of that car is only as valuable if somebody else besides me is looking at it. Bodhi has this, it's all about me, I'm going to do this, the ultimate rush. And that sounds great to kind of have your own life and live. And I even said that earlier. I think there's something really compelling about that. But at the end of the day, his satisfaction for his own sake is selfish and it's delusional. Because if you're talking about the life that you love, you know, dying for something that you love, what's the legacy in that? Because from a filmmaking standpoint, Bodhi didn't even catch one wave he got under one and died as far as i could tell like he didn't even like yeah we never see him on top of it Mm -mm. he completely just i assume he died so what kind of legacy is that and if if somebody says oh yeah he got out there and did it you know even i would think even surfers would look and go well that was stupid because what you you got to experience it but yeah for me i think that's completely just introvertedly like selfish and and almost delusional. Yeah, I wonder if his character would have almost reversed course or would have at least struggled with his own philosophy had this situation occurred and his entire crew still been alive somehow. I don't know exactly what the you know events would have had to be to lead up to that point, but there's nobody really at this point that cares about him. And so at the end of the movie for him, it makes sense in a way because it is selfish, but there's nobody that does care. Like he has sort of put himself in that position by the, by that time, but it doesn't make sense when he says it, right? When he's like sitting right. around the campfire with all his crew and Tyler, like he's like, I think holding her while he says it even. Like, so there's, uh, you know, I agree with you 100%. It, it is one of those very romanticized kind of ideas of, doing something tragic and it being meaningful because you died doing it. But there's a difference like in sometimes the military gets seen in that way. Like I was just playing a call of duty uh, game campaign tonight and it sort of has that same aspect where it's like, listen, we're not coming back from this and it doesn't, no one knows what we're doing here right now but they'll know what we they'll know the result of what we accomplish and and that right yeah completely different because you're doing it for somebody else you're not doing it for yourself it's in complete it's completely for someone else it's the exact 180 and so i think there's a difference to that sort of tragedy that word result i think is the key word there if you don't leave something behind if you don't leave an echo a result some kind of tangibility of your death 
it doesn't matter because in the real world, Bodhi's death would be cataloged as local surfer dies in surfing accident during a great storm in Australia. That's it. The guys that were part of his crew, half of which are dead. They don't care. Rosie probably doesn't give a crap. You know, Rosie's apparently Rosie's been arrested, <laughs> according to Johnny. And so there's nothing about his life that has any kind of echo. That campfire moment is awesome because of the fact that it it shows off, look how great of a life that I think I can have. And this is why I do what I do. But the fact is, as we watch, it's not that he doesn't care about his team, but that he's really being... A, he's at self-preservation mode by the end of the movie. You know, Rosie, uh, who was it? I can't remember. Uh, Roach, who dies. You know, he got shot and, and they push him out of the airplane and he eventually dies, I think, in the air. And yeah. I don't know if it's Rosie or, or Bodie, but one of them says, leave him here. We got to go. And I, th- yep. <laughs> I think it's Bodie. But in any case. No, Bodie, Bodie won't leave him. Bodie puts him in a parachute and is convinced that he's like, you're coming out r- with me, you know? Yeah. But I know, but but when oh, he no, lands, no, no, no. And, and, when they, and they land, leave. you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I don't know who says it. It may have been Rosie, but there's really no fight. It like, was. I would expect. I would expect if you were to play that up, you would see a close-up shot of Bodhi mourning for, you know, thirty seconds, saying, "Yeah, you know, I wish it were. I wish it were a better life for you. I'm sorry," and then leave. It just looked so. Eh, okay, and I know that wasn't what it was. I mean, I know he's yeah. got some remorse in his heart but he's living for something else and that something else only extends beyond his circle of of himself so that's what we get is this tragic ending where mm. we can celebrate at least in part for him that he gets to ride that last wave but i think there was something really interesting whether bigelow intended it or not that he didn't catch the wave that he didn't look good doing it that he didn't feel he didn't look in control like the wave got him and he didn't it, get his moment. Yeah. He didn't. He doesn't die he a hero. Just, <laughs> he did, right. And all he's going to be is a body washed up on shore because he's not an American. He's an American citizen. He's not known in Australia. And that's all he's going to be is the another body, another casualty of this great storm. And so I think it speaks to the, the tragicness of his life that he can talk a big game. But at the end of the day, if you're not impacting other people, it doesn't matter. Yeah, his whole philosophy to me is off. And I think that's one of the things I enjoy about the movie is because I can see him. He's a captivating character. He is a person that is charismatic and you can understand Johnny Utah wanting to be around. You can maybe even see parts of yourself at times kind of wanting to be around him. But you can also never really see him as an anti-hero because of his choices and because he has sort of he's out there the other big thing he says to his philosophy he's talking about the bank robbing and he says it was never about the money for us it was about us against the system that system that kills the human spirit we stand for something to those dead souls inching along the freeways in their metal coffins we owe them or, or sorry we show them that the human spirit is still alive and there is a very interesting thing about how this is written to me because he's not wrong in that many of us can be caught in this system of work, sleep, eat, 
parent, you know, you know what I mean? Like it, it's very, it doesn't allow for creative freedom or artistic expression or going to find our ultimate by chasing the wave or whatever this perfect Zen that, that he accomplishes is. And so there's a middle ground here that probably needs to exist. But he says the part that I think that is incorrect. He says, we stand for something to those dead souls inching along the freeways. You don't because no one sees you as they're not looking at your bank robbing and seeing you as living the dream because you have freedom. They don't see it that way. And so it's different, right? Than that. And, He's and then he's you know we show them the human spirit is still alive and and maybe he's talking about living a life surfing but I don't think people see it that way I think most people could see the romantic side of that for a vacation <laughs> for a time period but not as a lifestyle because something has to fund that and no one if they knew what you were doing to fund it would be like oh you stand for something that's right. Rob Banks to do that. Most people would not agree that that's the right philosophy. And so, yeah, he's when I look, he's just mis misdirected. He is. And I think he covers it up by thinking that nobody gets hurt physically and emotionally. I think early on when he talks about robbing banks, he said, the bank's going to insure your money. So it's best that you just sit out, you know, get down on the ground and don't do anything because your money's insured. And so in his mind, how he does this, knowing that, pulling the trigger and killing someone would be over the line. He doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. He feels like, look, all this stuff is going to get everyone in that bank. They're going to get their money back. It's not like they're, they're losing anything, but they are. They're losing a piece of themselves or losing confidence or losing trust. And they have now experienced trauma of being part of a bank robbery. I mean, that's the, the fact is you look at Bodie and you think, he thinks he's doing right and trying to open up the minds and the hearts of the world when in actuality, he's actually causing more trouble, not because he's breaking the law per se. I think that's part of it, but the fact that he is using other people and he's using their resources, to be honest, look, I put a hundred dollars in the bank. The bank uses it to go do something else to fund somebody else's loan, but it's still my money. I still have a credit there. So when a bank robber comes in and steals that, you're taking a piece of my life away. Even if I get that back through FDIC, the fact is when somebody robs a local bank that I'm part of, I feel a sense of loss. And if I'm in the bank when that happens, you bet I'm going to feel some trauma. So heck yeah, Bodie, you might think you're doing something right. But in actuality, you're hurting people emotionally and mentally. And that's only coming from someone who is completely selfish and he's hiding it behind the sense of altruism which I think is very much um, you know, some kind of mental disconnect that he has. He thinks he's doing something right when in actuality he's not. He's just, he's twisted in that way. That he is. Well, I did want to ask you, uh, you know, when it comes to that kid's conversation and the kid is talking about surfing, changing his life, have you ever surfed? I have not. Um, I would like to at some point. Um, okay. I don't think I'll get a chance to just because I don't live on the coast, but it's, um, I don't think it's as attainable. I think it's a long term lifestyle kind of thing because you just have to keep doing it. Right. And it's very, it, it, you have to have a specific place you can go. Like the breaks are different at different beaches. So 
if you're at the mercy of the ocean, it's difficult unless you're fully committed to traveling. So uh, practically no, but it would be so cool to be able to take up that sport and, you know, put that strap on and hopefully not get beaten the crap out of by war child. Well, you said it. <laughs> uh, it's pretty funny. I love how you got to toss that in there at the end. Yes, I, I'm the exact same. Like I would love to try it maybe at some point, but I also know that there's no way I'd be very successful. And therefore I would just probably get frustrated because by the time, like, let's say I take a week or two vacation in Hawaii and I take a bunch of lessons by the time I figure out just enough to know what I'm doing and stand up for a little bit of a wave, I'm going to be like, man, this is amazing. And then I got to go back home and it's over. And so it's just an unfortunate part of that. You can't do this hobby everywhere or the sport everywhere. Uh, but it, it was just uh, an interesting thing. I, I love, this has got to be maybe the top surfing movie out there. I know that there are a few others that exist and there are some decent ones, but this has got to be number one. Have I missed anything in regards to, I don't know, plot, filmmaking, the action pieces? No. I think the action's really well shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, um... In my old age, I prefer less action to more. Like I don't like extended action sequences, but I thought this was one of, of those action here and there. Yeah, like I, I really, I think this time around, I thought the uh, the the set pieces in the raid were really, really good. Uh, just lots of chaos, dude. And that uh, naked girl in the shower, like takes <laughs> she just na- Johnny she Utah just... out, and then she not, and then another FBI agent, she's like stabbing him in the back or something. She is like going crazy oh she's nuts and then she gets her head just busted into the uh the edge as of the she door should. as she and should yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was all just really gritty and dirty and just so uh so out of control that i thought it and it was all set up so perfectly i, I just i love babish or pappas not babish gosh uh you see coming in and say scooby scooby i mean it just he is so good in this as just the kind of not half he's not a bumbling idiot but he is just so jaded by the world of robbery uh bank robbery and i love the chemistry between him and utah they are so different from each other and one of my favorite moments is when they're waiting outside for the robbery to take place and he's reading calvin and hobbs and he's just getting so tickled by it and then he goes i'm hungry it's time for lunch and he's like and that's when you get the meatball subs yeah yeah he's like go around the corner there's a sandwich shop. Give me two meatball subs. And then he, he leaves and goes, two, two, give me two. Yeah, like what the plan? Yeah. It's just, it's so good. But yeah, I, I love that set piece. Um, and then, of course, the uh, the skydiving sequence. It's, it's just beautiful. The first one, the first one with everybody. Uh, go ahead. So speaking of skydiving, I wanted to point this out for anybody who doesn't know. Swayze could be considered an early version of like Tom Cruise here. He did not all of his stunts. He didn't, he actually, I was watching it behind the scenes and he didn't do the chase sequence where in the mask he's running for the raid when Johnny like catches them and he's like running between buildings and stuff. He was actually on the set of another movie and so his stunt double had to do that. And he says he was jealous because he wanted to be there for it because he was doing almost everything else. But when he watched the movie back, he was like, oh, I'm kind of glad I didn't have to do that because I couldn't. There's no way I would have been able to execute that well. But he was a j- action sports junkie. 
And so he did all of the actual skydive jumps for this movie. And he broke four ribs in the process of filming and hurt his knee and was having to get injections in his knee to keep going for filming because he was like going all out. So it's very like Tom Cruise-esque in the way that he approached this. I thought that was pretty cool. Doesn't surprise me with him doing Roadhouse too. I mean, I think he probably did his own stunts there too. (laughs) He probably did. Probably did. Well, I appreciate it. This was great, man. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about this one. And before we go, wanted to figure out what we're going to cover next week. And we kind of are in this position uniquely where August has sort of been forgotten by Hollywood and there are no big blockbusters or super compelling, interesting movies coming out. I mean, there's definitely things that I'm interested in seeing. I'm sure there are that you're interested in seeing. There might be movies that surprise us and that we really, really love and want to talk about. And so what I'm going to propose though is that we have this nice little like five to six week window at least of nothing blowing our socks off. And we often talk about, oh, we would love to do a series here and there, but we never really have the time to do it. Well, we have the time to do it. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to play a little game, Patrick. And so, uh, you know, if you don't get into this, you can tell me the truth and we can like back out of this plan or whatever. We can change it up however you want to make it work, but just go with me for a minute. And if something hits throughout the month of August or September that we really, really love and we like, Oh man, I really want to talk about that. Then maybe we drop a bonus episode or something on it or, you know, do it a couple weeks later. So here's how the game's going to go. I have created nine groups thematically (laughs) What? <laughs> okay. You're I'm already laughing, laughing at this. this is, well, so listeners, I mean, normally we have notes and, uh, you know, so it's rare that <laughs> surprises come. I mean, listen to our yeah. passengers episode. That's a great example of, of like aha moments. This is another one. He told me that he's got something in store. And so I'm just laughing because I don't know what it is. So I'm excited right. to, to just get into this. This is good. I wanted to catch you off guard. So okay. nine groups of films. And so the, the way this kind of started was, by me going, oh, you know, we could do like some seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like we could do another Keanu movie or a Patrick Swayze or a Catherine Bigelow or or a heist. And so then it just sort of kind of, I, like I tend to do, it grew really quickly into this new thing where I have nine groups of movies and there are anywhere from, I would say, five to six movies in each of these nine groups that would account for a various number of weeks over the next, you know, August and into the first week of September potentially. So I'm going to read off these nine groups. And if I need to go back over them as we go through this, that's fine. And the way it's going to work, I'm going to read through the nine. And we're going to take turns, Patrick. You are going to eliminate one group from contention. Then I am going to eliminate a group from contention. And we are going to go back and forth like this until we have two groups remaining. And then we're going to see if we can agree on that group. And if we can't, we'll flip a coin or something and the winner can choose the, the final from the two. Okay, so that's how this is going to go. So here are the nine contenders for our next series, if you are down for this. The first one is Keanu, and that would be Speed plus, I wrote down the Matrix trilogy, but in parentheses I put four because there's actually four movies now, so it would be like Speed plus basically the Matrix, whole franchise. Then I have Heist Part 1, so there's two groupings for heist movies heist part one is and i will copy and paste this and put it in the chat if you want 
or you can write these down too. You you got a pin, okay. Heist part one is the Oceans trilogy, but that's actually four movies because I like Oceans 8 as well. So Oceans times four plus Logan Lucky, another Steven Soderbergh heist flick. Group number three is It's the Law. And this is The Firm, The Pelican Brief, A Time to Kill, Runaway Jury, The Rainmaker, and A Few Good Men because I didn't know where else to put it. Then we have... The Arnold Plus One Group, as you called it at one point, bloody hell, but one of these isn't Arnold. So this would be Terminator. We've done Terminator 2 already, but this would be Terminator, Predator, Total Recall, Last Action Hero, and RoboCop. Also up to, you know, we could swap RoboCop for like Running Man if you want to keep it all Arnold. We can we can negotiate here. Okay. Then we have the Tom Clancy plus one group, which is, we've done Hunt for Red October already, so this would be the remaining films. This would be Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, The Sum of All Fears, Without Remorse, the most recent film starring Michael B. Jordan, and Sicario. Then we have the Oh My God, It's Jason Bourne group, which needs no other further explanation because there's five movies in that series. It's probably my favorite name, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> we have the, <laughs> the heist part two group. Okay. This is I'm going to keep myself off mute, by the way. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. You totally did. That's the heat. This is good stuff. Now you see me, the town, <gasps> inside man, and the Italian job 2003, the one that you like. Yes. Then we have the Swayze and Bigelow group. And this is only because Swayze's career was much shorter than I actually thought, which is really sad. I was like, there's got to be like six great Swayze flicks. There's not, actually. So this would be Ghost, Dirty Dancing, Roadhouse, Red Dawn, and then the two Bigelow flicks, Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. And last but not least, and this one is open to some decision-making between us if it gets chosen. If it gets chosen, and that would be the So You Want to Be a Gangsta group. This is the Godfather trilogy, Goodfellas, and then a couple of the films, either Donnie Brasco, Casino, The Irishman, or Scarface. We could pick a couple of other gangster films to go with that. So those are the groups. Do I need to repeat anything before you make your first cut? No, so we've got Keanu movies, heist movies, part one. It's the law, Arnold slash bloody hell, because <laughs> I like that title. Uh, Tom Clancy, Jason Bourne, heist part two, Swayze and Bigelow, or Swayze plus Bigelow, and then So You Want to Be a Gangsta. That's right. You got Great it. titles for all these, by the way. I thought that was on point for, for those. Yeah, it's too bad I won't be picking based on those titles, because that's definitely... <laughs> but the, I know, right? You know, I'll give you kudos to the titles Well, themselves. there's... There's a little bit of strategy here. So if you have one that stands out, like you need to make sure it gets to the end, but I could eliminate it. So you might need you might sure. need a second favorite, you know? So it's kind of like yeah. you're trying to make sure your favorite gets to that final two. I've got three already that are at my okay, top good. three. So, so All right. I'm good here. So I'm going to go ahead and start with ones that I am going to explain We're first. Al- That's the... J- yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. So I'm going Jason no, I was making Bourne. Sure. Okay. Yeah, so, Jason Bourne's so no off Jason the table. Bourne. Yeah. Like the first two movies... Got a little bit of uh, motion sickness in those, and I was like, I need to kind of take a step back. Uh, not really excited about those. So Jason Bourne's off the table for me. Okay. No Jason Bourne. 
<laughs> eliminated. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, I haven't actually thought for the, I liked them all because I made them all. So this is like yeah, actually difficult for me. <laughs> I am going to eliminate heist part one, which is okay. the Oceans Trill- Oceans 4 and Logan Lucky. So I'm going to take gotcha. that one off the table. Sounds good. All right. My next elimination movie is the Keanu movies. Okay. And part of that is due to the fact that I'm not as high on Matrix 2 and 3. Yeah. So I can go for the original, but the second two I can give or take. So eliminated. Figured. Okay. Fair enough. All right. I am going to cut the Arnold group, the bloody hell okay. selection. <laughs> Uh, and, I, and I don't have any like real reasoning as to why I'm cutting them because, like I said, I like them all. I, that's why I made them based on. I tried to add in certain things that I knew you liked, like which is, yeah. and then I promptly cut it. But you know, like the oceans <laughs> was for you, and and I threw the Italian job in one of the heist groups for you yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, I don't really love it, but I know you like it a lot. So anyway, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's my that's next good. one. We'll we'll get rid of Arnold. Okay. So, all right, and then I will go ahead and eliminate. So you want to be a gangster, and uh, oh, that's part such of a good name. Part of I it just it is a good name, and maybe maybe we'll bring it back for a certain milestone episode <laughs> as a trilogy for uh, Godfather specifically. But uh, that's a lot of shooting and a lot of uh, a lot of time stop talking like this that I might not <laughs> just be able to deal with for a few weeks. So there's also like eliminate. four or five of those that are three plus hours. <laughs> I yeah, think, so that's, a, that's a, a lot, lot of commitment of there, man. That's a lot of commitment. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Now we're getting really tough because I, I... Yeah. Oh, man. There's nothing I really, <laughs> really want to get rid of. I... Oh, as much as I hate it, I'm going to eliminate Tom Clancy plus one. Okay. I think. Okay. Okay. Or, yeah, I guess. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. What? Mm, hold on, I'm uh, thinking. Wait, e- go. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. I am. I am. Okay. So I'm so sad okay. about it. That's okay because I was going to do that too. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. I feel better. The <laughs> 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 pressure. I mean, there was. Well, I'm not going to say it yet because. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to eliminate next Swayze and Bigelow only because I feel like I would love to just cover one or the other in a sequence. Like I wouldn't want to combine those, even though obviously Bigelow and Point right. Break and Swayze, I'd want to do some dirty dancing and a little bit of Roadhouse kind of a back to back kind of thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eliminate Swayze and, and, and Bigelow. All right. Now we're down to two. <laughs> we are down to two, which is it's the law. And heist part two. So just to recap, it's the law is basically John Grisham movies plus a few good men. <laughs> what? Are you no, that, it's and, and heist part two is heat. Now you see me, the town inside man and the Italian job 2003. Do you have a for sure preference between the two? I do. Tell me what it is. You do. Okay. So here's where I'm a little torn because so one of these groups includes like four movies that you have three movies that you haven't seen. Right. As far as I know, 
because I literally went back and did my homework. <laughs> we yeah, did a heist draft once, likely. and I have like this graph where you blocked out, literally grayed out, like on a grid, the ones that you hadn't seen, which were like high ranked for me. And it was these three movies. And I was really tactful to put two in there that you had seen, so I wouldn't like completely overwhelm you. So the question is, <laughs> do you want to like do things you haven't seen that you have faith and trust in, or do you want to do the series that has you know a few bangers and then like a baseline of all quality, good kind of entertainment, even if they're not great? Um, so my uh, uh, go ahead, <laughs> go, no, go ahead. I mean. <laughs> I will say this that um man I mean it's it's hard to say because I would be so, I'm I'm excited to see just all these movies. Uh-huh. The fact is though I'm leaning more towards courtroom drama and I'm I'm just okay. I'm feeling I'm feeling Grisham. I'm feeling Grisham right now cuz okay. I definitely want to revisit uh, all those. I think there's one is it Runaway Jury? I think that's the only one I have not seen that okay. is on that list. So all the other ones, I will queue up a few good men probably once every like ten months because I just uh-huh. I want Sorkin in my ear while I'm working, and uh, you know if you can't well, handle the cool, truth, Aaron, yeah, it's just, a cool <laughs> group because it, you, we can kind of bookend it with Tom Cruise. If we we can start with the firm, and we can yes. end it with a few good men, and so we're essentially, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm cool Busey. Busey's in that too. Come on, it, he is, and Wilford Brimley, and yeah, the firm is great, yeah. and 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 again, like. A Time to Kill is is super high quality, and the other three are, I don't think they're like exponentially amazing films, but yeah. I, well, we'll talk about this, but I grew up on these books, and so I have a very deep connection to them, and I, I think that they're all really good and entertaining. And that's, good deal. They've all got big names in the cast, and yeah, and it'll be fun to do them in a row and compare them, and kind of, as sure. we go, talk about like how the stories repeat themselves in various ways or what what grisham does differently and such so yeah okay cool then that's it we'll then do we it's are, the law we are set <laughs> yes it's the law and it's in the books <laughs> just like johnny utah was before he went to australia <laughs> just... that's right <laughs> i'm gonna throw the gavel down and say we are adjourned with that one <laughs> all right well that's gonna do it for us on this edition of feeling film aaron thanks for not only a great conversation but a great little uh contest here that was kind of fun a little on the on the off the cuff on the fly whatever we're gonna call that but in the meantime i uh, hope you guys have a great week and we'll talk soon hey everyone thanks again for listening if you enjoy the show we'd love to hear from you you can leave us a review on itunes or wherever you're listening these help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you we also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing facebook discussion group A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.